Hey, Adam, could you pass me that green tea latte, that delicious, delicious matcha? Yes, sir. I, I picked you up a green, green, very green looking tea. It doesn't, you know, it, it, this is not like that green smoothie where they put a whole bunch of kale in it. This is like sweet, milky. Yeah, you should not write the ad copy for that, first of all. And second I of just all, sprayed green <laughs> crap all over my keyboard. <laughs> it's, I think it's it's only right that we can we can only get so close to the real thing, but we can't do the real thing that we had the benefit of trying in Thailand. Yeah, Thailand. Yeah. Thailand does their green tea lattes so much better. They're very serious about it. Do not come to Philadelphia specifically <laughs> for our green tea lattes. You will be disappointed. But should you find yourself in Thailand, definitely check them out. I highly recommend if you have the ability to pick one up. They are so choice. Mm -hmm. Adam and I got back a little over a week ago from Thailand where we got to participate in the CU Asia conference. Round three for the conference, round two for me, and round one for you. And your first time in Asia entirely, Adam. Yeah, that was right. So obviously today is one of our conference recaps. This is where you get an opportunity to not just get our take on what happened in the conference, but hopefully get some of our takeaways from the conference that you uh, are able to take home. So if you were there at the conference, you'll get to get a sense of what we were hearing in the room. And if you didn't get to attend the conference, well, this is as close as you're going to be able to get because it's in the past. Mm -hmm. But I would love to get your impressions on Asia since this was your first time experiencing any part of Asia. Now, granted, this was a, a tiny slice. We mm -hmm. spent about half the trip in Thailand. In uh, Chiang Mai specifically. In yeah. Chiang Mai. Uh, a little bit later in the trip, we were in a couple of other cities. And we were also in Cambodia. So um, did you have any expectations for Asia, co-working or just generally culturally as a place and experience? Uh, did it live up to expectations? Any surprises? What was Asia like for you, Adam? Co-working, my expectations are skewed because they're based on everything that you've told me about your experience from CU Asia previously. So it's my fault. Well, you know, your fault for setting a high standard, which is not necessarily a bad thing. In fact, I would say it's not a bad thing at all. And... The standard was met. As far as the, the co-working scene goes, I was frequently, and I mean daily, and I mean hourly, just impressed by the level with which people operate and have conversations about things that matter. This felt like a conference that was truly elevated. And that meant that I was intrigued to find out why, how is this possible? Because I know co-working as an industry is... Well, it's still young over there. It's young everywhere, but you know, in Asia, especially, especially young. Yeah. So I was I was really bowled over by that. The standard was set high, and it was met, and some. Um, and a, on a cultural recap, it's it's hard to say what you expected because as soon as you experience it, all that washes away, and you're like, oh, well, this is just how it is. And one of the things that I, I thought was interesting about spending a lot of time in Chiang Mai is I thought it would be more difficult to communicate with people. I thought it might be more difficult to navigate and get by. But the reality is, is Chiang Mai was very much set up for visitors, for newcomers. It's uh, absolutely a town that is built for vacationing. And for people who are not from around these parts, which is really great because it means you can get around and use just a cursory amount of, uh, of, of Thai sawadi crop. I don't think I ever said it correctly. I don't think you said it correctly there either. <laughs> Absolutely not. But just like the green tea, maybe it's close, but no cigar. And, and people tend to understand what you're going for anyway and are ready to accommodate. 
which is wonderful in terms of experience and ease of experience. And as we left, I was thinking, but was that real? But was that culturally authentic? And now I'm not sure, and now I have a reason to go back for round two. Because I would love to see parts of Thailand and Cambodia that we visited later in our trip to find out what it's like when people aren't looking, when people aren't visiting, when people aren't spending foreign dollars. You know, I, I would love to be immersed in that. And fortunately, I think we've made uh, a wealth of friends, uh, new and old, uh, that, that would be happy to hang with us. I'm being a little presumptuous as I say that, but I hope that's the case. I think so. And you know, it, your point that experiencing these places as a tourist is... You know, it's a little bit of the observer paradox, like something changes simply by being observed. Um, and so that that's going to influence our experience. I will say, though, I think a big part of the reason that Chiang Mai is popular as a de or increasingly popular as a destination is that it is Asia on easy mode yeah. in a lot of ways. Uh, everything from the it's extraordinarily affordable. Mm -hmm. uh, the people are really nice and welcoming, and it's interesting because you know it's it's certainly touristy, but it's by no means the most touristy city I've ever been in. And another thing that struck me about Chiang Mai in particular, Michael Craig from Dojo Bali and I, we walked across Chiang Mai one night at two o'clock in the morning, which in is your sandals. in my sandals, probably ill-advised. We had a <laughs> long wandering conversation in addition to a long wandering walk, um, looking for some street food in the middle of the night, which apparently you can't get. Sure. And Michael said something that I was like, oh yeah, you're totally right. And what he said was Chiang Mai is big enough to be a city. So it's got city stuff, except for, you know, 4 a.m. street snacks. Mm. But it's also small enough to feel a little like a village. Hmm. And that reminded me of Philadelphia, I where I would say, say Philly has got all the best parts of being a big city. But it's n I mean, you could also walk across Philly at 2 o'clock in the morning in an hour and a half. Also probably not advisable. Sure. But the same kind of scale. I talk about cities having sort of a metabolism. I think mm -hmm. Chiang Mai has an approachable metabolism. Compared to, you know, Bangkok, which is, you know, a major city like New York City, where, you know, big cities have a very high metabolism. I always joke they're trying to kill you. Um, and the case of the buses in Bangkok, they literally are trying to kill Absolutely. you. <laughs> but I think Chiang Mai is a really approachable city. Being introduced to Thai people through our co-working friends, I definitely think, you know, colored the lens of, of what we expected and what we encountered. But overwhelmingly, I was I, – I, you ask about sort of the authentic experience. I'll, I'll share a story. The first day of the actual conference, I put in the address into the uh, – onto my map, and I showed a tuk-tuk driver where to go. He took me. And dropped me off in a building that was the wrong place. Uh-huh. And I walked into what was a mostly abandoned building. A security <laughs> guard who did not speak a lick of English looked at me and smiled. And I showed him on my phone where I was trying to go. And he like walked me through the building, showed another person, and then realized, oh, I know where you're trying to go. And I thought he was leading me on foot, but what he did is he led me around the back to a garage where he grabbed his scooter, rode a scooter down a ramp, gestured to get on the back of the scooter, and drove me two blocks down the street. Oh, wow. And then, like, uh. gave me a handshake <laughs> and went on his day. So, like, that kind of graciousness and hospitality, people talk about the hospitality being so deeply ingrained in Asian culture and Thai culture in particular. That was the over and above experience from a complete stranger, from a mm -hmm. working class guy mm -hmm. who was friendly and gracious and 
you know, he could have pointed, you know, one block that way, one block that way. But he could have him, said nothing. He could have said nothing. He could have shrugged his shoulders. But instead, he threw me on the back of his scooter and drove me two blocks, which was quite a trip. See, that's something. And, you know, that that feeling of accommodation and hospitality is something that I think we become accustomed to because we spend time with folks who are working in co-working, right? There's specifically people who are focused on being social and being good citizens of where they live and of the world. One of the things that I heard more than anything else every single day of the conference was digital nomad, digital nomad, digital nomad. And get past the point where it's a little grating on your ears and you're like, I don't want to hear that anymore. Uh, what I'm hearing, what I'm synthesizing is everywhere this person is, they care about where they are. Everywhere this person travels to, they deliberately decided to be here. And while they are here, they are chiefly concerned with the well-being of themselves and this place. Not bad. It's like uh, a seed dispersal. You know, you all of these people who care a lot about taking care of each other, go to a, as many places as you can go to and take care of those people. Not bad. And it felt like co-working uh, uh, or this conference, CU Asia, was a collection of all of that, of all of those seeds, all of those people. Let's, let's go ahead and hit pause on traveling as much as we have been. Here we are right now in the here and now. Let's talk about how we do it, how we can do it better. Yeah, it was great. So for the rest of today's episode, in fashion as we do of our conference recaps, we're going to go through the conference day by day. This is a big conference. This is a five-day conference. Yeah. Uh, the fifth day, we're not going to be covering because we didn't attend. That was a, an excursion event. Um, mm -hmm. We could talk a little bit about how we think that's cool that, that the conference organizes that, but we've got four days to focus on. So we're going to rip right through that. We're going to talk about what we saw who we met, what we experienced, what we learned, some of our takeaways, some of our frustrations, because there are those two, maybe a little bit of comparison to other experiences that we've had, and send you on your way with your, your own sort of proxy experience for CU Asia 2017. Sound good? Yeah, sounds great. Awesome, let's do it. So day one, we were in Chiang Mai for a couple of days at that point. We had enough time to get over the immediate jet lag we got to go meet elephants yeah which was super cool mm -hmm. a nice humane park for retired and recovering injured elephants and then we got to hang out with some thai folks yeah uh, day one was spotlight thailand so this is a regional focus of what's happening in not just co-working but business and new entrepreneurship in thailand and uh, this took place at the Brick Space, I believe is the name of the venue. And I just want to say as an aside, and it's not normally something that you would want to point out, but I know that this space that we were in was a sudden change from what it was supposed to be. It was supposed to be a different venue and then something happened and now it was Brick Space. The reason I point that out is I would have never known and it was fabulous. And I recognize how much stress and work have to go into making that actually happen. And it really set the tone for the way this team would put on CUASIA throughout the rest of this trip. Because, y'all, they are the best. Like, I don't say it lightly. And, I, and Alex has said it before, and he, he gave this to me, so I'm skewed, like I said. But they are the best. And it shows. Yeah, to Steve and Renee and Vito, who heads up the events team at Hubud, attention to detail 
is just one of the things that they excel at. And what you were just describing, Adam, and the fact that there was a last minute venue change, but they still hung all of the banners and like everything just worked. And I, I have to imagine that at least part of this comes from being events organizers in a third world country where shit goes wrong, yeah. sometimes at the drop of a hat, and you're just used to having a really good backup plan. And I know that a lot of work goes into making these kinds of events, even when they work smoothly all the way through, appear that way. Mm -hmm. um, but the fact that they do it unflappably, I don't think I even saw Vito break a sweat, mm -mm. continues to impress me. These are folks that we can all stand to learn things from. It's incredible. What is your experience with Spotlight Thailand, knowing that you are not a citizen of Thailand? You will not be doing actual business here other than you know the education that we came for well how, how do you experience something in which all we do is talk about local 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 i can probably best describe it in comparison to a similar event that was hosted at last year's cu asia sort of like a pre-conference day uh yesterday it was indonesia day and it was focused on the indonesian ecosystem so now you've got the comparison here mm -hmm. um and i personally loved the Indonesia Day last year. It gave me a sense of something that I always felt was missing from these regional conferences. And we go to a regional conference, especially the ones that move around to different cities, and at the top of the conference, at most, we get a hello and welcome from you know, a mayor or someone from the Commerce Department or something along those lines says, you know, welcome to my city, but it's more of like a political gesture. Sure. I never really get an introduction to where, what this place is, what the people are, who they are, what they care about, what the big picture is. And so last year, Indonesia Day, I felt like in a little less than a day, gave me that, gave me the exposure to who is actually in this ecosystem. What are they doing? What are they trying to do? What are they struggling with? And as someone who comes to events like this, my number one goal is to meet people, connect with people, reconnect with old friends. But my number two goal right behind that is to put my finger on the pulse of what's happening in that region because I sort of composite all of that information together with other regions that we visit and then the year after year return. That's sort of the way my brain works and it's part of the biggest value that we get from going to these events. And, and I got that out of the Indonesia date last year. If I'm gonna be completely honest, and I always pledge to do so on this show, Spotlight Thailand, was less that for me this year than Indonesia Day was for me last year. What felt different? So this year, Spotlight Thailand felt less about the overarching culture. There was really only one or two presentations where I got a sense that the bigger picture was being considered. And in a lot of cases, it was like startups are happening everywhere, and now they're happening in Thailand. See? And I also recognize that you know, my real good friends that run Hubba, which was the Thai host for the entire conference, right? Mm -hmm. They worked with the Hubud crew. That crew has essentially built the startup ecosystem in Bangkok, at least. And so I know that they organize this. I know that that's a big part of their lens, and it's a big part of their world, and that Spotlight Thailand was clearly built through that lens. But if I were to offer one piece of constructive criticism that I know that they have the capacity to do, it felt like, hey, world, look at all of my cool friends and cool things that they're doing, which there's room for that. But I think there was a huge opportunity to bring in more people from the nonprofit sector, people from other kinds of organizations besides 
technology, startups, the innovation ecosystem. Like, there's a place for all of that, and I like seeing that in it, but it felt, frankly, kind of one-dimensional. Yeah. And I liked what I saw, and I learned interesting things, but it fell flat for me, mostly in comparison to last year, and I know that's almost unfair, but I saw something last year that I craved, and this year, when I didn't get that taste, I, 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 I could tell. No, the sequel is never better, huh? That's not actually true. Empire Strikes Back was great, <laughs> but but I guess what I'm what I'm illustrating here is it, it's it's not it's not unfair to have an expectation that's been set by the same group, albeit this was a a remote team that was putting a lot of things together. And hats off to Hubba, but it did feel decidedly more like an expo, like a show floor, than the rest of the conference. And when I consider the importance of Spotlight Thailand and the importance of focusing on the region, I interpret that as some context setting. You know that you are here for a co-working conference, great, but we would like you to get to know this place, why co-working works here, and also why it doesn't, why businesses flourish here, and the obstacles that they have. And if I had one piece of insight, the things that I would like to see in, in other conferences is, you know, let your walls down a little bit. Show, show off everything. Peacock a little bit about your area. You deserve to, and I'm happy to be here as a visitor. Please do that. And then let your wall down a little bit and gripe about things that only you can gripe about. Because the people here in this region experience a very certain set of obstacles that maybe I don't feel here in Philadelphia. Perhaps I have a perspective on those things that would be helpful as an outsider, and perhaps I just need to understand what it looks like, the good and the bad, before I before I get into the conference where we laser focus on only co-working. Yeah, I think that there was an opportunity to connect people to the context that would have balanced out the sort of showcase aspect to it. Mm -hmm. They're not the same thing. They're complementary to each other, and I would have loved to see a little more balance of that. Now, that being said, it was still an awesome introduction to some new friends. I met great people. The presenters were good. Yeah. So this is not a this was bad. There was a segment missing. There was a dimension missing that I think would have elevated it to a caliber that I expect partially because I have high expectations, but also because I've now seen it done before. Yeah. And I know it's possible. Yeah. So – I think it's an opportunity to grow, uh, an opportunity to build on what's already been there. Uh, but the you know the venue itself was really cool. It was also really fun to be in the place where you know friends from last year start rolling in, and you know there's the hugs, and you know I I know that there are some conferences in the world that have that that atmosphere, uh, that sort of like. I use the word fraternal for lack of a better term, but that like when you see somebody who you haven't seen in a year, your first instinct is like run up and give them a big bear hug. Yeah. Like that is that feels real unique to our industry. I know there's other industries that have their events and people get along and they party and they have fun, but like there's a lot of hugging going on at this conference. Yeah, it feels good. No, for real. It is it is family reunion. Yeah. And it and it feels good. And it was nice that this this day was in a venue, the the brick uh, Brick Space was in a venue that was 
close to a co-working space. So partway through the day, the anybody who wanted to, any groups that wanted to peel off for a minute could just walk right around the block and see what a co-working space looks like here. That's something that I appreciate a lot. And that's a game that we kind of play when we visit other countries. Oh, there's a co-working space. There's a co-working space. And to some extent, joking about anytime we ever see a chair and Wi-Fi. In, in an empty room. In an empty yeah. space. So oh. Kind of being obnoxious. <laughs> so yeah, that first day was a lot of fun. It was a great warm-up to the event. And we headed into day two. Yeah, so day two was Coworking Academy. That's right, at Pun Space. At Pun Space, so venue change. And day two was significant for you and I because we had a workshop first thing in the morning. Yep, and uh, some new material for us as well. Yeah, that's right. You did a workshop last time? I did do a workshop last year. So, so a couple of notes about Coworking Academy. First of all, it's fantastic component to this event. And I know something that some of the other conferences have started working in, more hands-on workshops and things like that. Uh, last year, the CU Asia team introduced the Academy as a full day of hands-on workshops running through everything from community development to technology and tools to marketing, business models, all the whole gamut. Yeah. Um, Deeper than introduct, uh, introduction, definitely enough for you to fill up a notebook throughout the course of that day. Mm -hmm. Last year, there were a little over 30 people Ooh. attended. I want to say it was like maybe 40 people, mm -hmm. and it was I mean, it was packed. The room was packed at, at Hubud. Uh, I did a workshop last year. It was actually it was a lot of fun. I had, I had something planned, and then at the last minute changed it up because I like to do that mm -hmm. because I'd had an amazing conversation with uh, a dude that I had met named Serge, who was in the process of getting his community ramped up in, in northern Serbia. And Serge and I had a great conversation where I sort of unpacked his plan for bootstrapping a community into action and said, all right, here's the things that you thought you were going to do. Notice that they come last in the plan. Here's like 20 things that you have to do before you do those things that you thought were first sure. to make sure that those things are successful. And then the morning of the workshop, I went to Serge and I said, would you be willing to replay that conversation in front of a live studio audience? Mm. And we essentially did that. You did a little public case study. Essentially. Yeah. Uh, talking him through his project and sort of getting his dialogue and feedback. That was really fun, but also something that, I was able to improv because it was just me. Uh, this year, expectations were a little bit different. Yeah. There were over 100 folks registered. So from 30 or 40, so practically triple mm -hmm. the attendance. So that's huge. And this is geared towards and really marketed towards spaces that are just getting started. I think when we had people raise their hands at the beginning, like three quarters of the room was either about to open a space or had only recently opened a space. Mm -hmm. So there was a majority newbie crowd. And this day is a day in which leaders of, of co-working as an industry from different spaces all across the world present a workshop, a like 45 minute to an hour uh, uh, presentation on well, you name it, you know, finance, operations, programming, everything, the, the real estate side of things, the day-to-day, -day, the interpersonal stuff. And what's interesting to me is being able to look at the schedule and the subjects that people are planned to present on and for you and I to figure out, all right, where do we fit in here? You know, based on what we see, 
what is missing or what can we highlight and embellish because we were the first people to go. Yeah, which is, you know, my second favorite place in the schedule to be is the opener. We get to be the tone setter. Um, my, my first favorite is to be the last word, yeah. if we're being totally honest, because you get to sort of wrap up the day and sort of dig into everyone else's material, find the through line and sort of carry it across the finish line. But getting to open the day is really fun, too, because you do get to set the tone and you potentially give the rest of the day speakers material to work from to riff on so oh, yeah so it's a, it's a fun spot to be yeah and in in that uh, specific case what we did on day two was present something that we saw generally a lack of in the rest of the program which was talking about people that's it there were a lot of high level conversations coming about things that you should know things that are going to happen how you can navigate these complex situations and, and all of that stuff is good to know and we highlighted that and said, you know, by no means are we denouncing any of this is not important. But before you even get there, before you get distracted by any of that stuff, because you will, people. I think the key here was that all of the other topics throughout the day are very tactical. These are things you're going to do. These are problems you're going to solve. And our point up front was while you're thinking about that, you also need to be considering who the people in the room are and not in an abstract sense. So we came up with a new version of an exercise where we have people thinking about the people in their community, describing the people in their community, and essentially highlighting the fact that most people's default is to go to an abstract profile or persona yeah. or demographic. So people will say, yeah, they're entrepreneurs or they're folks in the technology sector mm -hmm. or they're moms. And almost nobody really gets close enough to the detail to describe a specific person by name, by story. Mm -hmm. And our perspective, especially when you're getting started and like you actually have the ability to know all the people in your community by name. Like when you're in the hundreds or thousands of members, it gets real hard to do that. But mm -hmm. when you're your first 20, 50, even 100 members, 150 members, it is entirely possible to know everybody's name and to know a little bit about them. And if you don't put in the work to do that when you're small, you're never going to put in the work to do it as you scale. Mm -hmm. And so our goal with this workshop was to really drive home with a, a, a thought experiment of sorts, a reminder to know who the people in your community are at a level of detail that might seem unnecessary. Mm -hmm. But in those moments where you're working on the complicated and arguably distracting things, that is when that knowledge, that is when those connections and relationships become most important. And I think, based on the feedback that we got after that workshop, I think we drove that point home pretty well. Yeah, I would like to say so. And it's a helpful reminder, you know, even saying it out loud to a group of people and telling them, always remember this. A helpful reminder for myself. That's right. Uh, and it getting into the thick of a conference and becoming concerned with all of the, the elevated conversations we're going to have about platforms and, and social change. And all of that stuff is awesome. Uh, but it's, it's made possible because we, we take very special care to be focused on the individuals who are in our space right now, today, outside of this wall. So I was, I was glad to share that. And I have to ask you, what was your experience of the rest of the day as I suffered an unfortunate blowback and was not capable of staying for day two of the conference? Yeah, Adam got the ultimate 
souvenir from Thailand, mm-hmm. a uh, case of food poisoning. That's right. Glad you survived that. Glad you're still here, buddy. From an American breakfast sandwich. Yeah, well, that'll teach you to eat an American <laughs> breakfast sandwich <laughs> yeah, in Thailand. Yeah, Stick I to guess. your pad thai, knucklehead. That's true. The rest of the day was also really good. I had a similar experience last year at the Coworking Academy where everyone who got up to share was really among the highest caliber I had seen. And that was, again, ranging from the discussion, very tactical things like here's things to consider when you're negotiating a lease to here are ways to celebrate your community's wins. Mm. Like, I don't think I've ever seen a workshop presentation with that level of detail. Like, these are the things that we do to, to celebrate together. Yeah. To, you know, technology and tools to... Uh, sponsorship and how to actually go about doing sponsorship deals that don't sell your members out. Everything was really, really, really good. And on the attendee side of things, this is where things really start to ramp up at this conference for me. To watch a room of 150 people diligently taking notes, paying attention, asking questions all day long, like these people are plugged in. They are hungry. The attendees of CU Asia, starting with the Academy Day, but especially moving forward, are some of the most engaged attendees of any conference. Co-working, just as one small site, any conference I've been a part of, Mm -hmm. this crew is so plugged in and so ready and already so advanced. You know, I think about people will approach me with a question and from their perspective, they're a complete beginner and I'm elder counsel and I have the answers to everything. And both of those things are patently false. <laughs> you are not as much of a beginner as you think. Your instincts are way better than you give yourself credit for. And I'm speaking to the attendees of the CU Asia conference. Everyone that I spoke to had their head and heart in the most incredible balanced place for business, for culture building. So, so impressed. Also, I don't have all the answers. I'm here to listen and learn. I can share perspective and experience, but ultimately the best I can do is help map what I've learned into your universe. The fact that you know as much about your universe and how it's working speaks volumes. And I think we should talk a little bit about maybe some of the things that contribute to that uh, as we make our, our way through you know, day three and four. But I think there's something very special going on with the attendance at this conference, mm-hmm. the people who are coming to it. I'm still kind of unpacking where that comes from and why, but day two during the academy is where it really started to shine for me. Yeah, I, I took notes for myself of takeaways and, and, and recap of the event in in full. And one of the things that I wrote at the top of my my sheet of notes was CU Asia feels way ahead of the curve. Why is that? And there are a number of ways that I can answer my own question. But I'm I'm curious what you think given that you spent time in Bali, you you've spent time with the Asian contingent, the CU Asia specifically contingent, and you had an opportunity to go back and uh, once again it was proven to you. So it wasn't a lark. It wasn't just the people that were with you the last time you were here. It seems like, man, there's something in the air. So I have a couple of hypotheses on this. One has to do with culture, regional culture, and business culture within that regional culture. 
and I'm about to paint in some broad strokes. So this will not apply to all Asian cultures. This will not apply to all cities of all sizes, all people in those cities, all businesses. Mm -hmm. However, if you put business cultures on a spectrum, I like to put sort of America at one end of that spectrum in terms of we'll call it sort of a extreme capitalism. Okay. um, Where it's all about making a dollar. We have a very high metabolism from making dollars. Uh, We need to always need to be making more dollars. And there is a balance, I would argue, an imbalance in most American business culture between the importance of making a dollar and the relationships that are involved in that, right? Sort of winner-take-all, zero-sum game. In order for me to win, you have to lose. It is very competitive. Extremely competitive. And some would say that is America's edge, and that's why it's such a prosperous country. But I would also say that it's the root of many of our our downfalls and potentially one of the things that also holds us back as much as it does. Because the bottom line is in a competition, someone must lose. Right. So I think about uh, you know business deals happening in America where people are willing to complete a deal even if the other person has uh, metaphorically stabbed them in the back. Yeah. The knife may still be in the back. The hand might still be on the knife and the knife might be twisting. But if the deal terms are good, the deal is still on. Mm-hmm. Compare that to the opposite sort of the the Japanese business culture. And again, I'm very, very possibly speaking out of turn, only speaking based on what I know and I've been exposed to, but especially at the high level, right? The, the corporate executives that are doing big business deals. I understand this is a little bit different at the lower levels where it is there's more corporate hierarchy and people mm-hmm. really just answer to their superiors. But in terms of where business deals are being done, I know that there are entire consulting firms that help American companies start doing business in countries like Japan because it is so easy to unintentionally mess up the dance, right? There's almost a very ceremonial dance that people do in order to establish and reinforce trust before a deal is completed. Mm. And it goes so far as that if a deal is underway and the terms are very good, but somebody who is untrusted is entered into the dialogue, the equation, brought to a meeting unexpected. You can send massive deals completely off the rails simply by introducing somebody at the wrong time in that dance. Would you say that it feels more like a romance than business does in the United States? You know, that's interesting you bring that up because it never seemed romantic to me. Sure. It seems very practical. There's a there's definitely a ceremony to it, mm-hmm. a ceremoniousness that I could see edging on romance, but it also seems very practical. Like, I'm not going to do business with you if I don't trust you, right? Yeah. And that feels very practical and resonant with me because that's a founding business principle for me and for Indy Hall. And it seems to invest in the long game. Right. Uh, given that trust is something that might not pay huge dividends right now, but it's going to make a more sustainable partnership. But I get the sense that even outside of business culture, there is a familial sensibility. There is a almost tribal nurturing component to society that is less present in the States. Mm -hmm. I would even say less present in in parts of Europe that I've visited. I'm sure there's parts where it's more part of that culture. But Asian cultures, I think, because of this relationship transaction dynamic that, frankly, I think has been at the heart of why Indy Hall and many successful co-working spaces have thrived, that relationship before transaction dynamic that we work so hard to build and in, in the case of doing it in the States, we almost have to work to preserve it because of 
the outside business environment has a bunch of bad habits and defaults that it falls back to. Yeah. Asian business culture seems primed to this sort of environment. So when I think about the work that we do with co-working spaces or even s small, medium, large businesses, there's an entire phase of, I, I like to call it cultural rehabilitation, mm -hmm. where we have to get people out of their old habits of going for the jugular on a transaction before building some of that trust. Once people get into the groove, they're like, oh, this feels natural. I thought I f totally didn't realize I wasn't doing this, but this feels like the way it should be all along. In other parts of the world, and I would say definitely in many Asian cultures, that is a default. Yeah. And so co-working is able to resonate more deeply in those places. What's interesting is, you know, the shared workspace component to co-working, the more physical artifact of co-working, I'm not sure resonates quite as much because of people's work habits. People seem to be a little more introverted. Uh, any number of things that would make the shared workspace part of co-working make less sense in Asia. But I think the cultural parts of co-working, where co-working actually thrives, where a group of people thrive, not simply coexist, has a better chance of sticking the landing in a culture where those things are already valued than here where, in a lot of ways, we're an outlier. Yeah, and can I just say, for the rest of my experience at CU Asia, um, it, was, it was very different from my experience in any other conference. Because everything that you just explained, I felt by way of watching people say all of the things that I've always felt like, man, I wish people in this, this other conference would just get with it. I wish they would just know these things. And all of this stuff seemed to be really common knowledge. Which means that the level of discourse can be elevated as well. Way elevated. I mean, in a way that I wasn't even ready for. And, and that's exciting. That is really exciting. To be in a space where you meet new people, you're in a new place, and folks are, they're challenging the stuff that you know, or they're asking you to level up the stuff that you know to, to where they are and where they would like to go. I mean, that is ideal. That is... That is the stuff to the extent that right now, uh, more than a week of being home, I'm still unpacking some of the things that I've learned and trying to figure out wh how do I feel about that? What is that? I think what you just said is super interesting, and I hadn't really thought about it until you just said it. But a lot of other conferences that we've been to, when someone is attempting to level, quote, I'm going to air quote here, level up, mm. uh, level up the discourse, they issue sort of a, well, what about this hypothetical crazy future, right? And that's intended to elevate the discourse. But I think it actually draws people further away from the core of the problem solving of the things that are right in front of us, mm -hmm. the people that are right in front of us. Mm -hmm. It's not that I don't like dreaming and I don't like futurism. It's that I don't think that that's how you elevate discourse. I think it's a tool, but it's kind of become kind of a one trick pony within the the broader co-working ecosystem to think about the future of X. Right. Yeah. Whereas at this event, the elevation of discourse is more about sort of deepening what we already know. And that felt like that felt right, right? It was a uh, it was a little bit less bombastic. I think there's a humility to this event mm -hmm. that is, you know, as fun and joyous and and heartfelt and tactical and valuable and everything it is. I think is that there's a humility to it that I think is super important, and people are willing to ask a grounded question rather than sort of one of these airy fairy future thinking hypotheticals. And sure. I think that 
makes a big big difference that also means there's a certain kind of candid nature of the the information that people are going to share and this sense of safety or comfort that they have being able to share it and that was something that that stuck with me is you know what was the prompt at the beginning of the conference or what was the the statement that everyone was coming in with knowing full well i'm going to be able to say this thing and people aren't going to judge me harshly for it I'm going to be able to offer an anecdote that makes me look bad, but I need the help and I would like to level up and I bet other people will feel the same way. You know, I think that and maybe this is where we start transitioning into day three, which is the f- the actual you know, day three is the quote actual day conference. One. Yeah. Day three is day one. Uh, this is the, when you think of a conference. This is where you get, you know, talks up on stage panels and a couple of other formats Keynotes. that we can talk about. Yeah. This is where. I think you start to see our hosts set that example. And I think that's the other thing that makes you Asia unique. So we talked about the sort of regional cultural dynamic that I think makes co-working in Asia, even though it's younger than most other places in the world, I also think it is more advanced than places that are the same age or older. And it is advancing quicker because of those dynamics. The other thing at this conference is our hosts. So I already mentioned the crew from Hubba in Thailand, who are just exceptional, thoughtful, welcoming people. And the combination of them with Steve and Renee, who run Hubud, who lead the team at Hubud in Bali and help run the co-working Alliance Asia Pacific that now produces CU Asia. This is a collection of unusually thoughtful, clear, deliberate people. Mm -hmm. And in my experience, People attract more people like themselves. Mm-hmm. And I think that having Stephen Renee and AIM and his team at the helm of this conference means that the bar is set high simply by it being them and them communicating the way that they do with the intentionality that they do. That combo moved off of this larger regional cultural context i don't know what the ratio of influence is you know is it 80 percent regional context 20 percent the organizers or something else i don't i have no idea and i don't know how you'd even quantify it to begin with but i know that it's those two things working in tandem these organizers are great example of the role that people like us people like anyone listening to this show have when you bring a group of people together in a room or online or whatever it is you get to set the intention for that time together. Mm-hmm. And even though there was not an explicit statement of this is a safe place, you know, safe space, anything you say here is not to be shared, all those things, except for a couple of very specific sessions where that was done, there was an intention set from the start that was this ecosystem, this industry is unique. This is what we are here for, to share with each other, to learn from each other who are the best, right? You learn from the best by learning from each other, Mm -hmm. to level up together. And by saying all of that out loud, the implied statement was, if you're not here for that, then you have two options, to be here for that or to sit quietly through the next couple of days. The more explicit statement is, you are all here 
for the same reason. And here's what that reason is. If I compare that to other events, and this is not just co-working conferences, this is the challenge of all conferences as they grow, is when you start having a motivation to put butts in seats to get it bigger and bigger. Co-working spaces have this problem too. Mm -hmm. You start diluting the reason that everyone is there. You start adding more and more reasons that are less and less in line with each other. You end up with people that are sitting next to each other thinking they're there for one reason and that therefore everyone else is there for the same reason. They turn to each other, they have a conversation, and they go, I don't know what the hell that was about. That person doesn't, we are not on the same wavelength. And yeah. that's an experience that I've had increasingly at co-working conferences as the word co-working has become used to mean many more things. Yeah. And I don't think there's anything wrong with having folks from the real estate industry at these events. I don't think there's anything wrong with having vendors at these events. But I think that you need to set an expectation that this is a place for sharing, not selling. You know, this is a place for being a little bit vulnerable and asking questions and being willing to ask a hard question and being willing to be challenged and all of those things. That is the, I think what Steven Renee did is a great example of setting the bar high and letting people step up to it yeah. or step out. And yeah. Maybe it's possible that somebody stepped out. I'm not sure. But what I did see is a ton of people, like 300 plus people, step up for a couple of days. And it was awesome. It was awesome. And I, you know, it, it strikes me uh, that something that I noticed through the course of the, the conference is the realization that if you're here to show off, you are here for the wrong reason. And all of the people who were most impactful are people that I found to be humble and candid and realistic and talking about things that I'm familiar with, but elevating those conversations, you know, talking, talking more highly, uh, challenging expectations and understanding of, of the vocabulary we already share. And, you know, the, the talks on day three, a.k.a. day one, were very so confusing. So confusing. <laughs> they were varied, but I, I have to give a really special shout-out to Juliet Morgan, Cushman and Wakefield, who gave a talk called Real Estate versus Shared Economy from Dystopia to Zen. As soon as I heard the name of that, I was like, oh, come on, yawn. I don't, I don't care about this. <laughs> and Juliet blew me away. I mean, the way in which she presented, the material that she presented, very much set a precedent for what this experience was going to be like for me. Talk to me about what that talk actually was. What did that contain? Well, I, I think... To use your uh, terminology, you know, uh, the uh -oh. sure, yeah, <laughs> you, you should be. Uh, what struck me more than anything else is it was this analysis of co-working and this industry and these comparisons of industries that were no bullshit. And it wasn't foofy and it wasn't uh, trying to heighten our, our, our expectations of what we can do by patting ourselves on the back for doing it, doing away with all of the conceptual shit. Having a conversation like that with the spirit and energy and candor that Juliet brought, and then a little bit later having Karsten come up and show some numbers, it changes the numbers. You know, I looked at the figures differently because the context was set differently. Yeah, Cushman and Wakefield, for those who are unfamiliar, is a big group that represents and analyzes real estate and real estate trends. And we've seen these real estate trend talks in the conferences, but I've never seen anybody really distill it down the way that Julia did. And ultimately, the goal here is to show the convergence of large-scale patterns. So that's what's happening in corporate real estate, 
what's happening in how money flows through buildings, landlords' priorities, tenants' priorities, and essentially how the confluence of these things lend themselves to co-working making sense. But to your point, Adam, every time I've ever seen that before, it's basically presented co-working as a holy grail solution. Mm -hmm. There was none of that here. This wasn't pandering, which I appreciated. It was a critical analysis of why the real estate industry has suddenly been woken from its 40 plus year slumber and has to get on its toes again. And what also isn't known, like Juliet was really clear about the fact that there's a lot, this is all happening so fast that most people have no idea what's going to happen next, which was so refreshing. This was an analysis that helped you see the bigger picture that the work that we're doing fits inside of. It wasn't just about real estate. It was about happiness about organizational dynamics. Yeah. And I feel like this is what happens is people latch onto one of those three or four factors that is most interesting or resonant to them, and then they ignore the other ones. Mm -hmm. And I think she did a great job of showing how intersectional they are and how this only really works when we understand all of the pieces and how they play with each other. Mm -hmm. It was There was a very holistic look at something that often is very one-dimensional. Yeah. And I have, not, I have yet to see, prior to this, a talk like that. Yeah, again, bar set high early on day one. Honestly, it's rare for me that the first talk is the high watermark for the day, but I would say that I think it was one of the high watermarks for the day. Yeah, yeah. Uh, other standouts on that day for me include uh, Renee's facilitated exercise in which this is going to sound ridiculous that I say it was a highlight, but everyone stood up and looked around. And I promise it was more profound than that. But the the exercise that uh, Renee guided everyone through was partway through the day when you know some of us I think are reaching this this exhaustion of so much new information. My brain is expanding and it's a little sleepy right now. And we haven't had lunch yet even. And you stand up and you look around the people who are near you and you make eye contact with the people who are close by, like eye contact. And then after you've done that, you look across the room at someone you're not close to, you make eye contact with those people. And that was interesting to me because I've never done that before and I've never thought about what that does. And what that did is it gave me a mental bookmark for people that I, I looked at, people that I saw, someone that I can bump into. It was kind of like saying, you know what? Who needs an icebreaker? Just, just do this part now. And then later you're gonna see that person and you're gonna be like, hey, remember that time when I awkwardly looked into your eyes? <laughs> <laughs> My name is Adam. You know, and it, those things were really helpful. That mindfulness, yeah. that presence was really helpful. And it's, it's very much tailored to an event that was thoughtful through and through. And I, I, it was just that nonstop. Even an event, even in an exercise that was meant to relax people and, and take a, a step away from information was still thoughtful and, and meaningfully presented. Yeah, that stood out to me, certainly. Yeah, that was awesome. I I had a conference call with Steve Monroe a month and change before the event, and he was sharing some thoughts with me about some of the changes that they wanted to make to the conference day. And I'm bringing this up because not because Steve called me, but because I think it's remarkable that a conference organizer would go out of their way to 
take things off the schedule that the year before seemed to be perfectly fine and to do it to make room for for other new parts of the experience. So mm -hmm. the willingness to look critically at this event and say, we're going to not just cut things that weren't good, but cut things that were perfectly fine in an effort to make room for some new stuff was awesome yeah uh i've seen the same format played out over and over and over and over and over at other conferences and no room is ever made for something truly new or experimental the two new format experiments that were introduced uh, were fireside chats yeah which are so sort of like a panel of one where for 40 minutes you know you get a a moderator of sorts digging a little bit deeper into one person's background story experiences and things like that i think that's i've seen that at other conferences before but i haven't seen it so much at a co-working conference i think it makes a ton of sense uh the other format that was super interesting was the introduction of a debate which is a little more spicy a little spicy and i've fireside. seen i've seen and actually at cu asia last year they tried a debate where it was I, I, me and a couple of other folks uh arguing about you know scale and things like that and the tricky thing about when debate is done in sort of panel format is everyone ends up just agreeing sure or you know that and that's really what i've come to come to learn is like even people that are on opposite sides of the argument will find middle ground because they're they don't want to social actually, conventions social conventions right so the idea here was let's pick a topic that actually has two reasonable opposing viewpoints have people assigned to each of those opposing viewpoints and then a moderated uh what was the like competitive debate or or this is probably the worst example to give a presidential debate um just less horrible um <laughs> uh but you know to be able to choose a pro and a con and then have a series of questions volleyed you know adam here's your question you have 60 seconds to respond and then i have 30 seconds to counter and you have 30 seconds to counter that this is a hard format to pull off it's no a doubt. hard format to moderate but holy crap it was fun yeah you did a debate specifically titled will corporate incursion into co-working spaces kill co-working and i was on the yes it will side yeah and you were debating arnaud bonzom from 500 startups and uh, arnaud was an was an awesome opponent and we chatted afterwards and you know he said something to the effect of you know it was tough He's like, I agree with most of what you were saying. It's tough for me to like hold my ground on this other thing and the extreme viewpoint. I think the value in these debate formats is learning, not learning the extreme viewpoints, but learning that there is a, a whole category of potential reality between them that the good stuff happens in the middle. Certainly. But I think it's valuable to have people who are capable of arguing the extreme viewpoints do it in this sort of structured, moderated way. We got great feedback on it. The other uh, debate that I sat in on was between uh, Jonathan O'Byron and uh, Varen from 91 Springboard about leases versus commercial real estate partnerships and joint ventures. Mm -hmm. Jonathan's done a bunch of the partnership joint venture type projects. Uh, Varen has done a mix of both, but he took the, the lease side. And in addition to being an entertaining conversation and a well-moderated debate, the, the moderator was Juliet we were speaking about a few minutes ago. The entire conversation was really thoughtful, insightful. Uh, the guys were incredibly generous with sharing their experiences in pretty great detail when it comes to business negotiation. I think more than you would see on average in terms of getting into the nitty-gritty of how you negotiate and develop relationships with either a joint venture partner or a landlord 
eye-opening across the board. It was a real treat to, to just be in the audience for that one. Uh, and then the one that I participated in was good fun as well. Mm-hmm. And that moves us to the last day that we participated in CU Asia, which was Unconference Day. My favorite day. Yeah, a lot of people's favorite day. Uh, although I had a surprising conversation with a, a friend of ours who said, eh, unconferences are not my thing. And that's when we had a conversation about how you do unconferences. And you have a particular logic for how to get the most value out of an unconference day, and that would be? Go to stuff that you wouldn't normally go to. Go to stuff you know the least about. So for those who are unfamiliar with an unconference, you've clearly never listened to any of our conference recaps. But an <laughs> unconference is a day of conference that is designed by the attendees. You get a grid of time slots, usually 30 to 50 minutes, and a handful of rooms, three, five, seven, depending on the size of the venue and the group. And first thing in the morning, people come up and they pitch their session ideas. This is a little different from your typical conference topic because it's not necessarily going to be a speaker. It will be more conversational. Uh, it potentially could take the form of any of the things we just talked about. It could be a debate. It could be um, a brainstorming exercise. It could be just a Q&A. Again, the format doesn't matter. One of the beautiful things about Unconference is that you don't even need to be the expert in a topic to propose that topic as something to be discussed. Mm -hmm. You can say, I want to know more about this. If there are people who also want to know more about this, as well as people who do know more about this, come show up, share what you know. We've got questions for you. Mm -hmm. So the beautiful thing about this is, especially as the follow-on day to the conference itself, uh, you sort of start seeing what people feel was missing from the pre-programmed conference. This ends up being the, I wish there was a talk about this, or there was a talk about this, but I want to go in more depth. So you get to see how other people perceive the strengths and weaknesses of the core programmed content. Yeah. You also get to see how smart the other people in the room really are. And as we've already talked about, the people in this room are really friggin' smart. Not just really smart, really vulnerable. Uh, the unconferences that I was participating in were surprisingly open and vulnerable. And some of the conversations that we had were difficult. And well, frankly, this is the place where we can have those conversations with these people who understand, I mean, truly understand and internalize what it is to make co-working a living, a career to focus on it as a major part of your life. And in one of my unconference sessions, I was very surprised when someone had offered an anecdote about a member who had attempted to take their life in the space and effectively saying, how do I talk to my community about that? How do I deal with that? I was a person who was a part of that scenario. I have to communicate with my, my entire community on behalf of this person. I don't know that person's life. I'm not going to pretend to know. I'm not going to try to become that person or a master of what happened here. I just want to be reliable and, and responsible to the people that I take care of in my co-working space. And, you know, these are conversations that are rare in that we get very few opportunities. When I say we, I mean co-working professionals. We have very few opportunities to really chop it up and open up like this with people who understand what we're talking about and where we're coming from. You know, it's one thing for me to sit down at the dinner table with my family and say, I run a co-working space and spend quite a bit of time explaining what that means. Forget 
any opportunity of ever being able to have a conversation about a really nuanced, difficult scenario. And I was struck by the ability for people to be comfortable and open and vulnerable like that because it asked me if I have been doing that. Have I been honest about the things that I feel? And I have to say I appreciate CU Asia for that refresher. That's why I felt like an attendee. I was being asked, I was being challenged to be real, to talk about things that are real, frustrating. If I've got a problem back home in Philadelphia, then here's a place where I can talk to a bunch of people who are uniquely set to help me out. And yeah, I haven't felt that in a little while in a conference setting. And, and these unconferences really shook it out of me. It yeah. was awesome. The benefit of an unconference is it is a framework that allows conversations that aren't being had mm -hmm. to happen. Yeah, exactly. So take that opportunity even if it's not to be a conversation organizer, but to show up in an uncommon conversation, at the very least listen, but also take a crack at trying to share. I, I Just a, a piece of insight for anyone going to a conference in the near future. Don't mistake speaking out loud for value. Because if you have something to add, that's great. But usually, oftentimes, uh, just sitting back and listening to what other people have to say and really digesting that and registering that for yourself, that's valuable. If you get out of a conference day and you're like, man, I didn't say anything. I didn't correct nobody. I didn't show off not even once. Uh, that's, you know, that's not the point of why you're there. You're there to listen and to learn. And it's wonderful when you have an opportunity or a prompt to add to that conversation. But, you know, it's been many years that I've been going to conferences with you that I've had the very unique privilege of being in a room with the smartest people on the planet when it comes to this. And uh, this, this trip to Thailand really, really put myself in this, like, check yourself before you wreck yourself kind of situation. And it, What do you mean by that? I mean, like, CU Asia was the first time in, in many years when I really had a sit down, shut up check this out moment. And the thing that I didn't get was that ego stroke, the affirmation, because all of the things that I usually say were already being said. All of the things that I usually bring up, those things are understood here. We got that shit down pat. We left that in the dust a long time ago. We're moving on to something new. And the stuff that we're moving on to, stuff that I haven't even moved on to yet, were things that I, I hadn't talked about in a conference setting. So as I'm done with the conference and we left Chiang Mai and I'm thinking about what was that conference experience like? It was one in which I was an attendee. I was a listener. I was a student. And by no fault of a conference, by no fault of my own, maybe I, I just haven't had that feeling in a long time because I'm so used to the way that we produce, dispense, consult. So CU Asia was a really special experience, and it's part of the reason why I say I'm still chewing on it. Even a week plus after the conference, I'm still thinking about what the conference was. It was a reminder that you're far from done, that everybody is still moving, and some people at a totally different pace, and there's a lot left to cover a lot left to cover and if the conversations are going to be like this one as vulnerable and open and educated and ambitious as the conversations that i've had and seen had at cu asia the next time i have an opportunity to go to a conference or the next time i have an opportunity to go to cu asia you know, i'm ready to bring my a game you know, I'm, I'm ready to like really put in i think that felt great and it felt weird at first and as I'm on the, the other side of this, the other side of 
jet lag and finally putting my brain back together. I'm like, wow, okay, student again and ready to be that. And that is in no small part a testament to the work that Renee and Steve and the entire Hubud team and Hubba and everyone who had a hand in organizing and facilitating CU Asia, every single person who was there as an attendee or staff contributed to that. And I'm saying I haven't had that in a minute and it felt great. Yeah, I agree. I felt a lot of that last year. All, all of that made me feel more at home, right? I felt more like I was surrounded by my peers and I, that was incredible. That's an incredible feeling. Um, and I know it's something that a lot of folks in our industry really actively seek. It's a little bit of a bummer the way time zones work and how many of them are literally on the other side of the planet. But I also think there's something kind of magical about the fact that we can be on the other side of the planet, literally 12 time zones away, mm -hmm. and feel more at home than maybe we have in a really long time. Mm -hmm. So I think that's something to unpack for ourselves. And as we do that, figure out for folks that don't get a chance to travel, you know, what more can be learned from this broader ecosystem? What are some of the strengths that we can cherry pick lessons from and really start to adapt rather than just kind of going through the motions, which I feel like in, you know, in year 10 or so of this movement, there's a growing number of people that are just going through the motions. Mm -hmm. And that'll always be the case. I consider that part of like the mainstreaming of a thing as people will just copy what they see sort of carelessly and thoughtlessly. But I also know for a fact, based on the people who I hear from on a daily basis, people who write me, people who tweet me, people who listen to this show, and the people who go to the conference like the one we just came from, there are people out there that are working really hard to do this really thoughtfully. And every time I meet one of you who is doing this really thoughtfully, know that you impress me, right? And I'm not saying that to blow smoke up your ass. I'm saying that to say, like, this is work worth putting the work into. Yeah. Right? Uh, and it is special should you get the opportunity to find yourself surrounded by other people who are putting in the work. And if you have not had that opportunity yet... If you are someone who really wants to put in the work, feels that you have and want to continue to do so, and the only thing that's missing is that sense of isolation, hopefully this conversation about what's happening at CU Asia make you realize that you can have that. And if that's something that you want, I'd love for you to reach out. You can you know, shoot me an email, alex at indiehall.org, or tweet at Alex Hillman. A couple of remaining thoughts. One, uh, this matcha that you brought me is getting worse, not better. <laughs> um, as, as the ice melts and it dilutes. <laughs> so I'm going to push that to the other end of the table. Um, the other thought is, you know, since we're talking about people who impress us, I, I wanted to just shout out a couple of those folks who really went above and beyond. We already mentioned a couple of people who were speakers who really, I think, set the bar high. And obviously th many thanks to the organizers, the events staff, who just, again, completely recalibrate this to an entirely new high level. But on the attendee side, having an opportunity to meet so many amazing people, let's talk a little bit about some of the, the, the standouts. Yeah, so a widespread blanket shout out to every individual who joined from 91 Springboard. 91 Springboard being a co-working unit, many units, I should say, uh, operating in India. I think they have seven current locations. And everyone who I met representing 91 Springboard was lively and emphatic and wise beyond anything I've ever met before and crazy modest. Yeah, the, I met Veyron 
who's one of the co-founders last year. In fact, uh, his wife and him and I shared a taxi, uh, I think, on the last day to the airport. Uh, so we got to have a nice long conversation. And Varun said something to me in that conversation. Uh, I think not that he was looking to pick a fight because that's I don't think that's in his <laughs> in his DNA. Maybe mm. it is, but it was definitely a like, hey, I know you're like not into you know the giant scale co-working spaces and you're all about you know go deep but i want you to know that like we're doing things big in india partially because we have to but he also said like we learn stuff from you every day he's he's so gracious uh, and grateful for the stuff that we shared that he's able to share with his team and shared some insights into how they've applied doing the things that we do at a scale that is much larger than what we do and i mm -hmm. said to vera and i was like look I don't have a problem with scale. I have a problem with scale for scale's sake. You're doing scale for a reason, and more importantly, you're committed to doing scale very well. Mm -hmm. And that means that you know, as well as anybody does, that it's hard. It's really, really hard. But the fact that you're even committed to it says to me that you've got a better chance of achieving it. So that was my first introduction to 91 Springboard as a as a unit was through one of their co-founders. Then we reconnected at Coworking Europe in Brussels, where he had brought a couple of his teammates. So it was fun to get to meet a couple of his teammates. And once again, they were asking me really great questions, and we were talking about some of the things that they do at scale, and you know some of the tools that they use even, you know that they run so much of their member communication through like WhatsApp and WeChat and stuff that I couldn't imagine making sense in our community, but it was so fascinating to see how they take the same core principles and adapt them. It's not, and this is what I love, is these guys aren't copying what we do and then doing it at scale. They are learning from what we do and then adapting it. Mm -hmm. That's hard, but that's where the good work gets done. And I, it, it's being adapted to the point where I think that the lessons start returning to us. Mm -hmm. I think they start giving us clues about how we can do the things that we already do better mm -hmm. as we continue to grow, as we continue to evolve. This time around, Varen came with... I think 14 of his team members. Yeah. Which is a small army. A handful of people I've interacted with over email, folks who have reached out for advice or just saying they love the podcast, whatever it is. Everyone was, like you said, so cool and so smart and so humble for this crew to be operating at, again, the scale and the speed. You know, said there's seven locations, soon to be, I think, 10 locations Whew. and they're they're only four or five years old i want to say so yeah. like they're they're doing this at scale and speed two things that i generally caution people to to be wary of normally speeding up and scaling up community things disproportionately you end up with mutants the hulk right yeah and it's not not good and these guys are finding the balance yeah it's not that they're doing it perfectly it's that they're working really hard to find the balance uh, and so, yeah, blanket shout out to everyone from the 91 Springboard team. I hope to see more lessons from you guys. I'm hoping that those of you who listen to this and those of you who we talk to at the conference take the recommendation, the request from us, share more of what you know. Yeah. Uh, we want to fold more of that in. I would love to have more uh, of the 91 Springboard team on this show mm -hmm. to share some of those stories and lessons, get them more involved in the Coworking Weekly community. I think that would be incredible. Yeah, I also want to shout out people that I had great conversations with representing Hubba, uh, specifically Charlie, Aim, and Kelly. All three of them, I wish I had met more of the team and spent more time talking to the team, but the, the, the three of you that I, I spent time with in and outside of the conference, you have great insights and, and
and it's no mistake that Hubba is where they are and capable of what they're capable of. Man, it just, you know, it feels like finding family in a totally different place, which is really great. Yeah, we've got crew around the world now who have similar but not identical instincts to us and what I'm hopeful for and excited about. And I think one of the you were talking, Adam, before about, you know, how it's sort of weird to be in D Hall sometimes. The biggest thing I, I try to remind people of is, you know, we have time on our side. We not only have the experience, but we also have enough time to have taken the experience and reverse engineered it enough to document it and share it, mm-hmm. which is an additional layer of work and time on top of the actual figuring it out. So I, I, my hope is for all the folks that we met at CU Asia to carve out a little bit of time and start writing, start podcasting, figure out, I don't care what medium you use, do it in your native language. Google Translate's a beautiful thing. However you're most comfortable, start writing down what you've learned. There is an incredible wealth of knowledge that we got to experience firsthand, and I would love to have more opportunities for people to connect with. And I'm happy to be the signal boost for that. I'm happy to be part of the platform that connects y'all with great knowledge and experience with people who really, really would benefit from it. So don't worry about creating a perfect piece of content or media. If you share something, shoot us an email, alex at indiehall.org, tweeting me at Alex Hillman or at Adam, at Adam Tedris. We love to see it. We love to hear from you and we love to be sharing more. Um, This is in my mind, the marquee co-working event of the year. Oh, yeah, easily. This is going to be the one that I'm going to continue to look forward to. We know that next year is already set to happen in Malaysia, mm-hmm. which means we're going to Malaysia. Yay! Uh, and between now and then, we've got lots of folks to stay connected with, to learn from, to reconnect with and work on some really exciting potential projects. I think that you're going to be seeing more of a global presence from us, but I think anchored in this pan-Pacific, Southeast Asia, India, Australia, New Zealand. Like, There's good stuff going on there, and I want to be a bigger part of it. Yeah, indeed. Uh, and if CU Asia was any indication of, of what's to come, I mean, we're, we're headed into a really, really incredibly important part of, of co-working and I think maybe a, a leadership transition of who we pay attention to and what it's like to pay attention to people who are doing things really well, not based in, entirely on how long they've been doing it, but the kind of ideas that they put forward. And, yeah, um, agreed. All right, so uh, round of applause. Bravo. Yeah, bravo. Bravo for the CU Asia crew, attendees, Kapu organizers. Crap. No, I know I didn't say so that. so bad. I know I didn't <laughs> say that right. <laughs> um, this is awesome. Thanks again for spending time with us getting your conference recap CU Asia 2017 I don't know when the next one of these we're going to do is so CU Asia I believe is going to be February again Um, but I also believe that the same organizing team or teams is going to be putting on uh, CU India Mm. at some point before the end of this year so if there's any corollary to what we've already seen, what we've experienced. I know Sam is super excited about co-working in India. She got to meet some of Veron's team when we were in Brussels, uh, and we're very, very, very excited about the potential for that. So potentially the next conference recap is near the end of the year. Uh, see you, India. If there's something else going on throughout the course of the year. Oh, 
We're working on a conference. Oh yeah, of course. That's a thing. Uh, we're we're working on bringing back the people at work summit. Yeah, people at work summit. Mm-hmm. We did the people at work summit for the first time ever last April. Last April. And it's been some time. We're putting our thinking caps back on. We're revisiting a lot of the feedback, all the great stuff uh, from last time, all of the things that we want to do differently and, and new things to introduce, all of the influences that we've had from Seawasia and all of the really awesome stuff we've experienced in the past year. So we'll be bringing that conference back. The thing you need to know about the People at Work Summit, if you're new to the show and were not hanging out with us around this time last year, is the People at Work Summit is an entirely online conference. So no jet lag, no jet lag, and you know time away from your co-working space is time or cost prohibitive. This is an event really for you. You know the the original impetus for the People at Work Summit was us thinking about all the folks who don't get to go to these conferences. And obviously these conference recaps are a lot of fun, they're valuable, but there's nothing quite like spending time with other people. We've got the magic of the internet, and even between last year and this year, we've discovered some new tools that are even better for the kinds of conversations that we know make a conference incredible. So we're gonna be doing our best to put together an event that is a little more focused on the people side of the equation, collaboration, interaction, community building, culture development, how people work together, all of those kinds of topics, and it's all gonna be online. So if that sounds like it's up your alley, you can head over to peopleatworksummit.com. You can see some information about last year's event. Last year's speakers are still up. I think we'll be refreshing that website in the near future to get ready for the next one. But you can sign up on that website uh, to be on the People at Work Summit mailing list. We can let you know when details are coming out. You can get early bird tickets, all of those kinds of things. Uh, This, if you've never been to a conference, People at Work Summit, is probably one of your best bets as an introduction. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, our not-so-secret goal is for you to get so much value out of the people at Work Summit that you're able to afford the time away and the cost to actually get on an airplane or a train or a car or or a spaceship or whatever it is that you need to get on in order to get (laughs) to one of these in-person conferences and experience your first one of those. It's not intended to replace them. It's intended to get you to one of them. That's right. And uh, last year was a blast. Super excited to be on, have that back on deck. You'll be hearing more about that in the coming months as well. Coming soon. Coming soon. So I, I guess that's it, right? Yeah, I never learned how to say goodbye in Thai. I guess I never learned how to say anything in Thai. <laughs> but I also didn't learn how to say goodbye. Well, goodbye and have a great <laughs> week. I'm Sam. Hey, I'm Adam. If you're enjoying this podcast, you can do us a little favor. Go to iTunes, review, and share Coworking Weekly. Coworkingweekly.com slash iTunes. You could say listening to this podcast is both fun and educational, just like kids' toys. (laughs) (laughs) You might say this is the only coworking podcast that I listen to. I would say that. This podcast is as good as chocolate pudding. This podcast is better than black licorice. You might not say that, but you might say that. You might say this co-working podcast is the co-working weekly podcast. That's tautological. (laughs) It's perfect. (laughs) However this podcast makes you feel, just say it. The more people are a part of co-working weekly, the better co-working weekly becomes. This podcast is so much better than 
the hot dog I had for lunch. <laughs> <laughs>